Well, good morning. Certainly good to be back with you. I enjoy the opportunities when I get to just sit and be a listener like last week while being on vacation. Got to hear Jake deliver a great message. I'm thankful for that, but it's always good to be back, back into a routine, and I'm glad to be with you this morning. You know, you look like smart people, so let's start with a quiz, all right? See if you can answer these questions or answer them correctly. Some months have 30 days. Some months have 31 days. How many of them have 28? All of them. Good. Does England have a 4th of July? Sure they do. May not celebrate it as Independence Day, but they have a 4th of July. If I have two U.S. coins equaling 55 cents and one of them's not a nickel, what are the two coins? A 50-cent piece and a nickel, right? One of them's not a nickel. Didn't say both of them weren't. Just said one of them wasn't. Okay, so getting a little harder, right? Why can't a man living in North Carolina be buried west of the Mississippi? Because he's alive, right? And finally, is it legal for a man in California to marry his widow's sister? And why? Well, no, it's not legal because he's not dead, right? Or he's dead, right? So, I mean, you've probably guessed by now that these are riddles that are, have an obvious answer, but sometimes we overthink them or we respond quickly without thinking of them either way. You know, it's kind of like, you know, who's buried in Grant's tomb? We hear those things, and, you know, it causes us to stop for a minute, and sometimes we don't want to answer because we think, well, that, that can't be that obvious, when actually it is. But I've got another one for you this morning that I want you to just answer, yes or no. Okay? Here it is. Do I have to be baptized? Simple yes or no answer. Do I have to be baptized? You know, there's so many people in the religious world that see that as a riddle. Okay, God, you got us on this one. I mean, who knows? The subject is so confusing. How can we ever figure it out? I guess you win here. What a riddle, right? No, it's not that difficult. The answer is obvious. But many in the religious world overthink it. You know, it's been a while, but my girls were tasked with the duty of, of uh, babysitting the Sledge Girls. We love the Sledge Girls, and so they come to our house, and Zoe and, and, and Keely were, were tasked with babysitting, and of course, I did my best to rile them up so that they would have to settle them down, and this has been four or five years ago, so they were quite a bit smaller then, and I came home for lunch, and I'm sitting there eating lunch with them, and Nidia, the oldest, looks at me, and she says, why are you here? <laughs> and I said, because I came home to eat lunch, and she said, why? And I said, because I was hungry. And she said, why? And I said, because uh, I didn't eat breakfast. And she said, why? And I said, because I guess I was in a hurry and tried to get to work. And she said, why? And I realized I was trapped in this vicious cycle of why questions. And I didn't know how to get out of it. So I faked like I was coughing and had to leave the room. And she said, why are you coughing? And I, I couldn't stop it no matter how hard I tried. She just wanted to know why, and kids often do that, don't they? And in fact, adults do that quite a bit. We want to know why. And certainly, why is a good question at times. And it's a good question when it comes to baptism. Why baptism? Why do I have to be baptized? That is a valid question. But to study it from every angle and with an honest approach to Scripture should answer the question. This isn't a riddle. This isn't something that's hard to figure out. God's not trying to confuse us. But the religious world has done a good job of it. Notice what is written in chapter 3 of Matthew, beginning in verse 13. 
It says, Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John, to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. File that one away for just a minute, and look at Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 18. Jesus came up and, and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. My friends, at some point, we've got to stop asking why and just do. Jesus did it. He said to do it. And that settles it, right? I mean, what more do you need? Jesus did it. He said to do it. He modeled it. The first century church did it. So there's your answer. Jesus said to do it. So there's your answer. Why do we make this difficult and more difficult than it should be? You won't find a single Christian in the Bible who was not baptized. The model is there. The example is there. And the command is there. 1 Peter 3.21, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. I mean, that seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? Why don't we accept that as gospel truth? Why do we do everything in the world to go around this and circumvent it as if it's not the truth, that it's, that it, that it's not something that we need to abide by? You know who John MacArthur is? Very well-known preacher, speaker. He has a website called Grace to You. Here's what he says about 1 Peter 3.21 and how we can't take it at face value. He says, the interpretation is not true to the facts of Scripture. Wow, that's a bold statement, isn't it? Throughout the book of Acts, forgiveness is linked to repentance, not baptism. In addition, the Bible records that some who were baptized were not saved, while some were saved with no mention of their being baptized. Now, I bring this up because John MacArthur is a very well-known speaker and teacher. Probably, quote-unquote, converted thousands. And yet, we can't take, according to him, 1 Peter 3.21 at face value. It doesn't mean what it says. Let me get this straight. Because there are other passages that only mention repentance and not baptism, then we have to conclude that baptism isn't necessary for salvation? Folks, this is a smart man who has a terrible argument. That's horrible exegesis. There's only one small problem. Believe and faith appear alongside baptism more often than they do with repentance and confession. Not only that, Jesus stated in Luke 13 and 3 that unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. He didn't say anything about faith. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So I read that and believe that I shouldn't have to believe, that I don't have to have faith. Or consider Jesus' words in Mark 15, excuse me, Mark 16, 15 and 16. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, 
and he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Now, some say this wasn't in the original manuscripts. That's not true. It does appear in a lot of the original manuscripts. But that aside, some say, well, Jesus didn't say he who has disbelieved and is not baptized shall be condemned. So therefore, we've got to dismiss it altogether. Would we have any confusion if the passage read like this? He who believes and is baptized will receive a new car. Probably wouldn't have any confusion there, would we? We'd know exactly what he's talking about. He who has a cheeseburger and eats it will be fed. Do we need he who does not have a cheeseburger and does not eat it will not be fed? Do we need that? Of course not. There's some things that you have to use your brain, engage your mind, and just understand that there's some things implied. Or what about Acts 2.38, which Peter responds to the question, Brethren, what shall we do? And he says, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know we've talked about this before, but it bears repeating. There is a little word in the Greek language that, that is eis, E-I-S, and it is the word for for here. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. So how do you get around that? Well, some say that that little word for in the Greek actually, in this instance, means because of. Folks, that's not even bad Greek. That's not Greek at all. I mean, you study the original language. You don't have to be a scholar, but it does eliminate some confusion, and it certainly does here. Because you can follow that little word ace, for, throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament. Never, ever, ever does it mean because of ever in any instance in fact you can go back to secular greek sources and you can follow it there and it never means because of again terrible translation but there are some that will do anything they can to hold on to a theory or to a doctrine jesus christ came to this earth he lived as a man he was flogged he was beaten he was fastened to a cross he suffered, he died, and he was buried. And there is not a single denomination in the world that adheres to Christianity that doesn't believe that. They all believe that, that Jesus came, he lived, he died, and he rose again. If you are a quote-unquote Christian, you believe that with all your heart. But then when it comes to what Jesus said about baptism, all of a sudden we can't take him at his word? We can all come together and believe that he came, he lived, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. But suddenly when he says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, you disbelieves will be condemned. Well, I don't know. Do you really mean that? I mean, is he really saying we have to be baptized? I mean, is that really what he means here? My friends, we've got to cut through all the rhetoric. Jesus was baptized because it fulfilled all righteousness. God was pleased that he did it. And Jesus said to do it. And that settles it. No more discussion. We do have to acknowledge, though, that there are some in the religious world that don't, agree, uh, that don't disagree, I should say, with anything I've just said. There are some in the religious world, in fact, there are quite a few in the religious world, that would agree with everything I just said. They do believe that baptism is important just not necessary it's just not essential maybe there's a difference between important and necessary it's the difference between should and must there's a lot of people that believe that you should be baptized far fewer believe that you must 
be baptized. You see, what you will frequently hear is that baptism is an important step because it is an outward expression of an inward faith. Some believe you should be baptized, but you should be sprinkled as an infant because you're born with original sin, something we talked about a few weeks ago. Some believe that you should be baptized, but it's not absolutely essential. Some say you don't have to be baptized, and that even if you do, it only shows you're trying to work your way to heaven. And so there's a lot of different beliefs when it comes to answering the question, why baptism? Do I have to be baptized? You know, it's kind of like the church that uh, several years ago, they had a baptism ceremony for all these folks that had received Jesus in their heart, and they were all lined up in the parking lot, 2,000 of them. Well, 2,000 folks are a lot of people to baptize at once. And so to get around it, they called the local fire department who came up and sprayed them all so that they could kind of answer their request of being baptized. That should tell you that baptism was not for the remission of sins in that case, but rather because of, in their minds, the remission of sins. You know, I'm, I for one believe that, that baptism is important, but I take it a step further. And I believe that it is absolutely necessary. I do not believe that baptism can be reduced as a ritual for those who have already been saved. I believe that baptism saves you. And the reason I believe that is not because I grew up in a church of Christ and I've been taught that all my life and I just believe it. You know that I didn't grow up that way. The reason I believe it is as I study the scriptures honestly and openly, I reach only one conclusion. And that is that Jesus did it. He said to do it. The first church did it. It was modeled for us throughout Scripture. In fact, there's direct commands saying we should do it. So why are we dancing around this? Why are we treating it as it's a non-essential? You know, there are some passages that I believe are hard to understand. There are some belief systems that people have that I understand where they get them. I really do. There are some things that people believe religiously, doctrinally, from the Bible that I totally understand why they believe that. I may not even agree with them, but I understand where they're coming from. This isn't one of them. I don't understand. I don't understand why so much time and energy is expended to get around the obvious. We've got to ignore the rhetoric, and we've got to land the plane on biblical truth. It's just that simple, and I don't know why we treat this as a riddle. Baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. For this is blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Brethren, what must we do? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Do you realize that believe and faith are mentioned 483 times in Scripture? Repent and repentance are mentioned 56 times. Confess or confession is mentioned 32 times. But baptize or baptism is mentioned 77 times in Scripture. But what about Romans 6? Paul writes, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. 
For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. So when you are baptized, you're baptized into something. That's what it says here. You're baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are baptized into Christ. You are you are baptized into Jesus' death. And that is very significant because baptism is a death. It's a burial. And by the way, when you bury somebody, you don't sprinkle dirt on them. You totally cover them. You're completely covering up that old sinful self. You're identifying with Jesus' death and burial in that act. But you're also identifying with his resurrection as you come forth a new creature in Christ. Like Jesus, you also conquer sin and death. And by the way, when we identify with Jesus, we have to identify with him in every way, lest we fall short of being who he was and what he commands. When we are immersed or submerged in the water, we are burying that old sinful self that existed without Christ, and we rise a new creature that exists in in communion with Christ. Baptism is not an event in which one who is saved engages. Baptism is an event in which one engages to be saved. But there's something else to consider. Consider how many times water was used as an instrument of salvation in the Bible. Ever followed that line throughout the Bible? Remember, we've talked about this year being better Bible students. And one of the first things that we said is that in order to be a better Bible student, you have to understand the story. And the story of the Bible is one continuous narrative throughout. From Genesis to Revelation, this is a story about Jesus. This is a love story, which means that even the so-called rules, even the commandments that are there are for your own good because God loves you. And he wants you to be in heaven with him someday. So we look at it as one continuous story about Jesus Christ. And when you look at this, you follow the thread of water throughout. And you see it in the Old Testament. We've talked about it before. You have um, the parting of the Red Sea in order to save the exiles when they're coming out of Egypt. And of course, it conquered the Egyptian army. Then you have Naaman who dipped seven times and it was found that his flesh was restored like that of a child. You have the ark. And Noah being saved through water, something that Peter even mentioned in our reading this morning in 1 Peter chapter 3. Not only do you have all these these illustrations of water and the instrument of water and how it led to salvation for God's people. You ever noticed how blood is used in the Bible as well? You ever followed the thread of blood throughout the Bible and its atoning work and how it illustrates for us the atonement or the forgiveness of sins. I mean, you think about it. It started with Cain and Abel. Abel brought an acceptable sacrifice to God while Cain did not. One had blood, the other didn't. What about the 10th plague that God sent on Pharaoh and his people? You know, the people were to to take the blood of an unblemished lamb and to spread it on the lintel of the Israelites' houses on their side posts so that they would be saved. When the law of Moses was given, numerous sacrifices were required for the forgiveness of sins. In fact, what we see and what we read about with blood in the 
in the Old Testament is a foreshadowing to the coming of Jesus Christ, who was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The blood of Christ is, was the purchase price of our salvation. Blood has a significant, significant meaning for us throughout the Bible. This same Jesus affirmed that forgiveness of sins is directly connected to the shedding of his blood. We also know, however, that baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. Therefore, we can rightly conclude that water baptism and the blood of Jesus are directly connected. There is a connection there. There is a symbolism there that when we are baptized, we are washed in the blood of Christ. That is where we contact Christ's blood. It's not merely a sign that you've been saved the point at which you have been saved. Now, what needs to be stressed, I think, for many of us who are already Christians is the fact that so many times what we do in teaching about baptism is we make it the end all. You know, we treat baptism like it's the only real requirement for salvation. We don't believe that, but I think we maybe subtly do that or unconsciously do that. We end up proof-texting people into baptism a lot of times. By that I mean we study with someone and we take them to all the passages, like 1 Peter 3.21, that talk about baptism. And we just hunt and peck through all of the different passages that talk about baptism. Folks, we've got to stop doing that. that doesn't, that's not good. I was about to say it doesn't work. It may work. You may get somebody baptized, but do you make a disciple? Because as we've talked about over and over again, the Great Commission says that the goal is not baptism. The goal is what? Go and make disciples. So we can, we can baptize someone. We can teach them all they need to know about baptism and how essential it is and even get them baptized. But did we make a disciple? Did we help them become a new creature in Christ? Baptism's not the end all. You should believe that we are saved by faith, because we are, and that's what the Bible tells us. We are saved by grace through faith. That's what the Bible says. You should believe that, because it's what is taught in Scripture. However, baptism, like repentance, like confession, is a proper response to that faith. So, baptism is essential. It's not the only thing involved in our salvation, right? And we've got to stop proof-texting people into baptism. We need to stop making it the goal. The goal is to make a disciple, not to get someone baptized. Baptism is not the end all, it's just the beginning. That's the starting line. That is where they begin their life of discipleship. And so we have to remember what it means to teach someone, to walk someone through the Scriptures. And instead of hunting and pecking all these Scriptures, we read bigger chunks we take them in context. Because here's what happens so often. We study with someone, and maybe they have some background in this area. And we go to Acts 2 and 38. And they say, I hear you, but go to Romans 10, 9 and 10. And you say, yeah, I hear you, but go to Romans 6. And they say, yeah, I, I hear you, but look over here at this passage that talks about belief. And you say, yeah, but go to 1 Peter 3, 21. They said, yeah, I hear you, but go over here where it talks about confessing. And all we do is just pit Scripture against each other. It's not how this should work. As we talked about last week, two weeks ago, the salvation process is a whole. Instead of hunting and pecking, we need to take it as a whole. Because what we do is we leave the impression with people sometimes that these are the only the real verses you need to concentrate on. These are really the important ones. 
And we know that's not true. It's all important. So instead of trying to, instead of trying to hunt and peck, we show them the entire context. We show them what it means to be a disciple and how baptism fits into that, right? As well as faith and repentance, all those other things. Here's something else. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes this, There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Let me ask you this. Paul is stressing unity as he does over and over again in his letters. In fact, that is a very common theme that you find in all of his letters. Obviously, this is a, this is a reiteration of that. I mean, Paul is trying to show how important unity is. And these are the important things that we need to be unified on as a church. And notice that baptism is one of them. There is one baptism. You ever thought why he includes baptism in this unity passage? I mean, there's no one repentance. There's no one confession. There's no one sinner's prayer as if that was even biblical to begin with. But there's one baptism. Why do we have to be united on that? Why do you think Paul brought that up? Because you're not a Christian unless you've been baptized. So we've got to be on the same page with that. That's where you contact the blood of Christ. That's where you bury the old sinful self and rise a new creature in Christ. If you're not united on that, then nothing else really matters, does it? You know, I had somebody tell me one time, an old preacher that said, you need to preach on baptism three or four times a year because it's that important. I thought, you know, it's hard to argue that, but how do you preach baptism differently when you're preaching it three or four times a year? It's pretty hard. And so every time I sit down to preach on baptism, I think, okay, how am I going to do this different? And then I kind of reach the conclusion, why do I have to do it different? I mean, it is what it is. And every time I preach on baptism, there's someone that probably needs to hear it. Just like tonight, we're going to preach on rebaptism tonight. Many people have that question. No matter how many times you preach on it, somebody's affected by it. So we'll talk about that tonight. You can't preach on this stuff enough, I don't think. It's that important. Paul saw it as that important. Jesus saw it as that important. The first church saw it as that important. We should see it as that important as well. This isn't a riddle, folks. God's not trying to fool you. He's not trying to make it hard to understand. The answer is obvious. At some point, we've got to stop debating it and just do it. It reminds me of the story of this preacher who was out in a river, and he was baptizing some folks at a baptismal ceremony. And there's this old town drunk who walked up and saw what was going on, and he waded out in the river, and he stood by the preacher. And so the preacher looks at him and takes advantage of the opportunity. He says, sir, have you found Jesus? And he said, no. So he dunks him under the water. He comes back up, and he says, son, did you find Jesus? He goes, no. So he dunks him back under the water. He comes back up. He says, son, have you found Jesus? He said, nope. So he holds him under the water for like 30 seconds. The guy comes up, he's gasping for air, and the preacher says, son, have you found Jesus? He said, are you sure this is where he fell in? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> not the only one that laughs at my jokes anymore. Baptism is not where you find Jesus. 
But it is where you find salvation. And if you need to put on Christ this morning in baptism, then we're ready to take care of that need. But let me say this. Don't let that be reactionary. Because when we offer the invitation here at Oldham Lane, we're not offering it just so you'll be baptized. We're offering it because hopefully you've studied and gotten to the point that you know you need to do it and you know you need to do something different with your life. If you have not understood fully what faith is, what repentance is, and what confession is, then we need to study because our goal here is to make disciples. We're not worried about a quota of baptisms for the year. We're worried about making disciples. And so if you are ready to study the Bible, maybe you have and you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, start your discipleship walk today. Wherever you're at, let us help you get to where you need to be. Come now as we stand and as we sing.